And hello, folks. Welcome to the inaugural edition of Alpharetta Tech Talk. I'm John Ray, and we are coming to you from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank in Alpharetta. And I'd like to welcome our two first guests for Alpharetta Tech Talk. We're excited about this new show. We'll tell you more about that uh, a little later. But first, uh, Chris Smith, and Chris is with Praxis Technology Escrow. And Michael Anaya, and Michael is with DevCon Detect, Inc. Uh, First, I want to get to Chris Smith. Chris is the founder and CEO of Praxis Technology Escrow. Chris, welcome. Uh, Thank you, John. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. So, Chris, known you a while. You're an old friend. This is a new venture for you. Tell us about Praxis Technology Escrow. Okay. Uh, John, uh, when you say new, I feel like an overnight success in the sense that I've been at this a little over 20 years. But this uh, Praxis is my newest venture in, right. this, in the space, and I'll, I'll get into that later. Sure. Uh, you asked me what software escrow is. Um, most people, even even people in technology, um, don't know what this is. Uh, it's a practice that's been around probably 50 years. Um, what we do, we're a neutral third party. We hold on to software, source code, uh, build instructions, other proprietary intellectual property. And the, the main goal is to um, connect, if you will, enterprise users of business technology and emerging software companies. And ultimately what we do is, is provide a way for the end user to rationalize taking the risk of buying software from an emerging tech company. If the tech company goes out of business, we give the code and documentation to the end user so they can continue to uh, use the software as intended and, and get their uh, uh, investment that they expected. Oh, wow. Now, a lot there, a lot to unpack there. This sounds like you're mitigating the old, uh, remember the old saying about let's just buy it from IBM because we know they'll be around? I mean, this sounds like the software version of that, that you're mitigating that risk. That's exactly right. So if you think about it, uh, uh, so the small emerging software companies that are competing with those household names, why would you ever buy from them? Well, they have to have a better uh, product or better technology, um, but they might not have a balance sheet yet. They might be venture funded. Um, how do you rationalize that risk? So we help the corporate decision makers find a way to go ahead and take that risk, uh, put the put the emerging technology into spay into the uh, environment and and uh, get those benefits. And conversely, the other side of the coin is we help emerging software companies win their early enterprise clients. So, talk a little bit about the client base. You know who who is the client here for you? It's a great question. So um, we actually go to market in three distinct market segments. We sell two smaller emerging software companies. The pitch being, we'll help you win your early enterprise clients or, or investors. The second is uh, large enterprise clients, you know, large Fortune 1000 companies that, that want to or need to um, become more efficient through technology, find a better way. Uh, and then there's a third channel of intellectual property or technology transaction lawyers that are oftentimes involved in these enterprise transactions. We make them aware of our services, um, and they may call us in to help in those uh, situations where they're sensing some risk for their client. Gotcha. Um, so how does it work if I'm the uh, emerging company? Because I've got limited funds, right? So how does that work? Am I paying this like it's an insurance policy or how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. So the normal scenario is that the the emerging tech company goes to a a large provider, a large enterprise company, and they will um, agree to sell them the software at X dollars. And the last thing is they say, hey, we want to make sure we're protected if you guys go out of business. And so the usually the in that scenario, the software company themselves buy the escrow service from us ironically, to protect their clients. Oh, okay. 
Okay. So give us a little sense of from the enterprise perspective, because I'm buying the software from the end owner, which is the, let's say the smaller uh, startup, right? So how, how am I able to get that software deposited with you in escrow uh, to, I guess, command that, if you will, as part of my deal? That's a great question. And and we'll get to that a little bit later as part of the, what makes Praxis different, but um, ultimately what, what clients are typically looking for uh, the, the large enterprise company wants to make sure they can keep using the software. And in our industry, the standard is that a reasonably skilled software engineer should be able to take everything from that escrow deposit and compile it and, and form a working software application. So think about the secret recipe. They should be able to take it out, uh, put the recipe together, right? All the ingredients, put it in the oven, cook it, and out comes the, the cookies, if you will. Sure. Right? So in the software world, it's the same thing. Uh, they follow the build instructions, put together all the parts and pieces, and it, when they hit compile, they should have a working application. So, so all of that gets defined in the escrow agreement. They agree to it in advance. And then there's a variety of ways they can transfer the materials to us. Sometimes it's physical, like on a CD or DVD. Uh, sometimes it's through an FTP. And then the thing that makes Praxis uh, what it is today is we created a way to do automated escrow depositing. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're looking for everything to be put into escrow that they would need to run the application, even if their software uh, vendor goes out of business. Very big difference from, say, uh, data backup or application continuity. While that's part of it, we're really protecting you if your software company goes out of business. Okay, so let's talk to the intellectual property attorney okay. out there. How do they come into the picture as a client? It's for a you? great question. So, so if the if the IP attorney, the technology transaction lawyer, is representing, say, an end user company, maybe uh, a, a large beverage company here in Atlanta, for example, and they might be looking to connect their uh, vending machines to uh, the internet for whatever reason, right? IoT is a hot market. That's a brand new area where not a lot of people are concerned. So, so that large beverage company may well go for outside counsel to get the best advice possible. And what we do, in fact, I'm certified in six states to provide continuing legal education. I teach attorneys uh, best practices and technology escrow. And the idea is that the, the knowledge rests there. So the beverage company goes to the IP attorney and says, we want to do this. We're worried about the risks. Help us quantify, uh, define, and manage those risks. And so we'll work in collaboration with them to do that, help them create a contract that addresses it, and I think you asked this question earlier, is, well, how do I get access to the source code? Sure. And those are what we call release conditions. They're really the crux of the escrow agreement. And so the most important part, typically, of the escrow agreement is how and when can I get access to the source code. And it can be anything from bankruptcy, uh, breach of support, uh, failure to it- uh, innovate over time, price increases. It can be anything that's, that's negotiated. Even change of control sometimes uh, means a, a release. So sure. So that's a highly negotiated point. Gotcha. Uh, we're speaking with Chris Smith, and Chris is the founder and CEO of Praxis Technology Escrow. Chris, we were talking about this before we came on the air. I mean, you've you've had a progressive uh, uh, changes in in your business uh, in terms of working for someone, then then progressing on here to founding uh, Praxis Technology Escrow. Talk about your your own progression there and maybe how the industry's changed, and then maybe you can morph into why you started this company. I mean, what makes you uh, unique? Okay. That may be the hardest question anybody's ever <laughs> asked me, John. I think that was like five questions all at once. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, yeah, so um, 
my story, it, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur for, for the most part, and uh, like yourself, and we refer to that as the journey, right? The entrepreneurial journey. Sure. Um, I, I was hired into the escrow industry in 1998. I went to work for a company. It was the best job I ever had. Uh, quickly promoted to the director of sales. After a few years, we got acquired by a large Fortune 1000 company, and, and the culture really changed. Not, not in a bad way, but it was certainly different. And a group of us took that as an opportunity in 2002 to form a company called Escrow Associates. I was uh, president and co-founder of that business. Um, we, at that time, we, we brought some innovation to the market, uh, grew quickly, uh, over time became the third largest provider in the world, um, eventually sold the company to uh, the NCC Group out of the U.K., uh, the, the NCC group is a large publicly traded company. They're number two in the world. I rode off into the sunset and never thought I'd come back to the technology escrow market. I got involved in some uh, software startups, did some angel investing, and in particular uh, helped found a company, uh, a software as a service company. It was during that process that I learned a little bit about uh, uh, software coding uh, in detail, but also source code archives and how software companies had distributed development around the world. This is roughly 2012, 13. Um, and companies were offshoring development at a rapid pace, and they needed centralized ways to store the source code. And at the same time, companies were moving towards software as a service, which also included agile development. And if you don't know, agile development means instead of creating one or two new versions a year, you're creating a new version every week. You're pushing out, pushing out code level changes every week. Mm. And so those were software as a service and agile development were two major trends that impacted the escrow world. Let me pause there and, and see if you have questions about that. I think it's, it's important that we catch that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe my big question is how did this, the, the technology escrow evolve over time? Because you said you started in the industry in 1998, I can't imagine it was the same then as obviously as it is 20 years later. That's right. Thanks. Right. So, so, so how did that evolve? I didn't quite finish my thread. Shame on me. So, no, that's okay. So, so really what happened was while I, while I was out uh, working in the software world, trying to, to start software companies, um, the two major trends that affected us were, as I mentioned, agile development and software as a service. And when I look backwards at the escrow industry, it really hadn't evolved to keep up. And specifically what I'm talking about is the, the very nature of the escrow agreement is you're holding on to deposit materials. And those deposit materials need to be current and functional if and when you're ever relying on those, if there's an escrow release. Well, when agile development came along, and even today, something like 85% of all software companies use some version of agile development methods, meaning they're pushing out versions, source code level versions, sometimes weekly, sometimes daily. Well, the escrow industry average number of updates in a year is 2.3. Oh, wow. So if you think about that, yeah. pretty much every escrow agreement out there that's not using an automated method like we created, the software escrow deposits almost guaranteed to be outdated. And that's a major, major issue that our industry largely, even still today, ignores. And I sat there and I watched for a few years and I thought, surely someone in the escrow industry was going to see this glaring problem and fix it. And I did uh, some market research, talked to software companies and users and attorneys, and, and they were you know, becoming aware of the problem, but nobody fixed it. And continuously nobody fixed it. So 2016 came along and I decided to found Praxis to to. Uh, catch up to help the industry catch up, if you will. And the way I like to describe it is we're now using today's technology um, to protect today's technology, ironically. And we're connecting directly to those source code archives and automating the escrow deposit. So with Praxis, the biggest difference is that our clients' uh, escrow deposits updated weekly. So we get 52 updates a year 
compared to the other providers getting 2.3 on average. Oh, wow. So you now, you know, I have to put this in simple language for me, right? And maybe a, a few of my listeners. Uh, this sounds like what you're doing. It's something like the insurance company that's insuring off current value, not the value of the home when it was originally insured. Something like that, right? Well, I mean, it, you're, yeah. you're key. In other words, you're up to date on what you're protecting. So, so yeah. So a good to carry on that analogy, John, it would be like if your insurance provider connected to your uh, Zillow instance for your house specifically. Mm. And as Zillow, uh, as the value went up for your house, uh, you know, 3% each year, then your uh, insured value of your property would follow that and track it. Conversely, right. if it drops, it would do the same thing. And you could make the argument today with today's technology that the, our taxes should be done the same way, our insurance values <laughs> could be done the same way. Um, the technology's there. It's good enough. But that's a whole separate podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to leave that to somebody else. So, um, yeah, and it also, to, again, to continue the analogy, I don't want to make it a tired analogy, but um, – uh, if I build onto the house and I don't tell anybody, then then it's kind of like automatically adding in for the value that that creates, right? Much much better analogy. Yeah. Right? So much better analogy. So, um, you, you know, the real question here is if you have to file for a release of your source code, right? Would you like the current version of the source code and all previous versions, or would you like some outdated source code? Right. Like it's as simple as that. And to 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 follow through with your analogy. Um, the way our software works is we're connecting, taking those changes weekly. So we would already know if you added a bedroom. It, yeah. w- it would already be in the source code. If right. you added a bathroom, we would already know that. Right. And so the, the, the traditional methods are just so outdated that the, they would never know. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, so, Chris, lots of startup software companies uh, in the Alpharetta area, in metro Atlanta generally, uh, you've got to be a, a godsend for some companies like that that want to sell to the larger corporate players out there, the big enterprise players. It's true. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we, we do help uh, a number of companies in the Atlanta market, and we, but we service clients worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited we're doing business now, even in mainland China. Uh, small emerging software companies in China have a particularly hard problem uh, exporting technology, and, and we're able to help those. We're, we're signing contracts there now. So, so our business truly is worldwide. We have about 20% of all of our business comes from Canada, for example. Um, it, anywhere that you're an emerging software uh, company, that uh, that needs to win enterprise clients or gain investment, uh, you know, from from seed investors or even venture capitalists, that we're a great resource to help them uh, find a way to make that happen. That's fantastic. So Chris Smith, Chris is the founder and CEO of Praxis Technology Escrow. Uh, so Chris, for those that would like more information, would like to be in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, the best way to engage with us is to visit our website, which is praxisescrow.com. Um, P-R-A-X-I-S-E-S-C-R-O-W dot com. Also, you can reach us at 800-213-9802. Chris Smith, thanks for being with us. Thanks, John. Now I'd like to turn to Michael Ananya. Michael is with DevCon Detect, Inc. Michael, welcome. How's it going? Great. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me on the inaugural show. It's yeah. It, it's exciting, right? Yeah, it is. So, uh, uh, you keep folks safe as well in another way, slightly another way. So let's talk a little bit about DevCon Detect and what you're up to there. How do you serve people? So basically, our core product at DevCon is think of antiviral solution, but for the ad ecosystem. So we don't block ads. We filter them. So um, we'll say you're going to AJC.com. You'll see a series of great content, but you also see ads. 
at the same time those ads are coming through the pipeline, what we're doing is we're filtering the bad ads. Any ad that has malicious exploits in it or any ad that's going to take the user off-site, we block. And then we only surface good ads. So that's our core competency. And we're branching off into a new area. That essentially is all ads are running on JavaScript. But um, JavaScript is so ubiquitous on a website. There's so many different other elements of JavaScript. Now we're branching off and protecting all variations of JavaScript. And this is something that, that the typical user has no clue about, right? I mean, doesn't know JavaScript from Adam's house cat, shall we say, right? So you're protecting against unknown, unknown threats that are real. That's correct. Uh, to kind of back up a little bit, we can talk about JavaScript. JavaScript, to explain to some of your listeners, it's just a scripting language. Um, there are three main elements that make up a website. JavaScript is one of them. JavaScript adds a lot of functionalities, particularly around behavior. So mm -hmm. what you might see on a website is an image. JavaScript will allow the user to actually select the image and zoom in. That functionality is built on JavaScript. And JavaScript is tied into a bunch of analytics. So Google, when they're basically trying to optimize SEO or search engine optimization, they're utilizing JavaScript. Whenever an ad, like I said before, is coming through, it's built on JavaScript. Or there's a chatbot, it's built on JavaScript. And JavaScript, it's interesting, it was built to run on the client machine, not on the server. So the client machine is actually the end user's device. So whether it's your cell phone or whether it's your home laptop, it's running on your machine, not on a server. That's JavaScript. Oh, wow. Uh, now, you, now you've got me a little excited here because that sounds kind of uh, uh, nefarious, shall we say. But how is it that uh, this kind of, uh, let's say, bad, bad JavaScript, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, ends up on some legitimate sites like AG, AGC? I'm using them as an example. Uh, uh, but how does that happen? So... Uh, We'll take AJC out. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's come up with a fictitious company. We'll call it a John Ray's Donut Emporium. Okay, right. perfect. John Ray's Donut Emporium. Recently right. opened. Recently opened, <laughs> newly minted. Yeah. <laughs> a very high-end donut shop. Uh, so basically, uh, at John Ray, they want to basically, we want to have a website. So they create a website. And in order for the website to function, they need to add some analytics, some other elements, and JavaScripts introduced. Um, this creates a lot of vulnerabilities, probably because most people operating the website don't quite know exactly all the security elements. They're mostly people, when they focus on a website, they're focused on functionality. They're focusing on content. They're, fo they're focused on things that are outside of the security realm. So what they're going to do is rely on third parties. And there's a huge vulnerability there when it comes to just third parties in general re regarding the supply chain. So going back to the website analogy, you're going to have the content. You might outsource that to somebody. Someone else is going to then build images like a graphic designer. You might actually want to take orders. So there's a high probability that Donut Shop is not going to do it themselves to outsource that. Those are all examples of that supply chain. Well, those individuals or companies are going to be using JavaScript to do all that. It's outside of the person's control that manages the website because they're relying on those third parties to do it. So if some actor were to come in and compromise that piece of JavaScript, that person who owns the website, in this instance, John Ray's Donut Emporium, newly minted, uh, <laughs> they have no idea. Sure. So where DevCon comes in is we basically provide a layer, a layer of security. Well, we can do multiple things. One, simply put, we're going to take a snapshot and identify versions of JavaScript, any changes that happen, 
So we'll say one of the JavaScripts that take um, that's simply just doing analytics all of a sudden is repurposed, and the people behind it are saying, "Oh, we want to now capture payment information." Well, in this instance, that allows the content holder to be like, "Well, hold on, that is an analytics tool, not a tool designed to capture customer details, specifically payment information." Gotcha. We then notify and block that activity. Wow, that's cool. So, uh, so essentially. Uh, my donut emporium or companies like mine that have websites where I've outsourced this third party, this third party work unknowingly to me that maybe have been hacked somewhere along the way by one of the bad guys. You protect me. That's correct. And my, and my uh, end client. Exactly. Cause many of these data breaches that occur in this example aren't on your system. So your donut shop is fine. It's the third party that actually was breached. Right. And the customer information, so no one's coming into your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. What's happening though is your customers are exposed because they'll siphon off data. So to give you some real world examples, in 2018, there were some big data breaches. Uh, two of them were specifically centric on this type of issue. One was British Airways and another was Ticketmaster. Both organizations suffered this type of breach. And again, they had no idea anything was happening because they weren't watching and monitoring for it at the time. Wow. We're speaking with Michael Ananya. Michael is with DevCon Detect. Uh, now, Michael, you've got a let's step back for just a second. You've got quite an interesting background you bring to this company. Tell us about a little bit about you. Oh, of course. Uh, first off, it's Anaya. Oh, Anaya. I'm sorry. <laughs> like annihilation. I'm sorry. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, everyone gets it wrong. Uh, but so yeah. So prior to doing working with DevCon, I uh, my first job was with a software company out of Dallas, Texas, and then I was doing that for about three years, and then I joined the FBI. I became a special agent with the FBI. Uh, my first assignment was um, at Los Angeles, California. I was there for about eight years, um, and I was doing cybercrime the entire time. So data breaches, network intrusions, that was my key focus. Mm. I learned a lot of amazing pieces of information, particularly about the mindset of the threat actors. I arrested a lot of people. I interviewed them, interrogated them, and I was able to start learning about how they think, their motivations, and it's fascinating. It's probably a separate podcast yeah um, for sure <laughs> <laughs> and then i transitioned the headquarters with the fbi promoted and then i promoted again and i uh came to atlanta georgia where i was running a cyber program where i was managing and, and working with agents and analysts and technical experts addressing this issue at large um, and then i decided to go back in the private sector and i came in and joined defcon wow you bring quite a background to to this company so tell us a little bit about where you are as a company um, we were talking off air that this product that you, that, uh, this, uh, uh, capability you're, that you're referring to is in beta. Talk a little bit about where that is and what you're looking for from folks out there. Oh yeah. So we, right now we're doing beta testing. So our initial core competency is in the ad ecosystem, but we're repurposing our tech and we're applying to all forms of JavaScript. Uh, so right now we have some key, uh, enterprise clients that are working with us. And if someone's interested, they can reach out to me specifically or contact the organization through our website and sign up for a beta test if they like to sort of participate early on. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're hoping to refine the product. We're, we're making huge progress and because it's one of our core competencies is JavaScript just repurposed. Uh, our tech team is exceedingly good. Uh, the chief technology officer, Josh Summit, is, is literally a brilliant mind. And so it's fascinating to see him and his team at work. Um, and then this company was started by a, a enterprising woman named Maggie Louie, 
uh, amazing talent there. So really great people behind the scenes, really pushing this forward. So, but right now we're in that beta phase. We want to launch and get into more general sales, but right now it's early on. Gotcha. And, and the, the general sales obviously depends on how beta goes, but what, 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 what do you anticipate in terms of rollout? So we're looking at potentially first quarter of 2020. Okay. And again, if someone wants to get on early, uh, they can contact us. We can make an arrangements. We're only doing it on a limited basis. And so we do have um, a wait list. And there are people who are very interested in us and potentially utilizing our software. Uh, but again, we're always open to talk to people. Okay, I'll talk to you all fair about how I can get my donut emporium to the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I want to get back to what I mean. Some of this is obvious, but some of it's not obvious. Is what is the risk risk that exists to me in my donut emporium? Or to, to you know the typical company out there that has this issue. I mean, what what are the the downsides that can occur out of this? So there's a number of different key factors that risk. We'll just talk about revenue. Uh, revenue is obviously a big element associated with running any organization. Um, using the donut shop analogy, we'll say that became a very huge success. So you expanded outside of Reda, and now you're a global empire competing with Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, you might at that point say, you know, we want to have a, a blog. We want to manage it ourselves. We want to have content, and we're going to basically have ads. So in that environment, what our tech will do is secure all JavaScript, including those ads, and so help prevent revenue loss. If you have nefarious activity coming in off your ad pipe, that actually detracts from revenue. Those, when you have a publisher site, or in this example, you have that blog, revenue is coming in because you're selling that space. But if that space is going to someone who's not paying or it's invalid traffic, that's a problem. So we, we basically protect revenue generation in that example. And another um, different examples are operational overhead. So if there is a breach that occurs, what's going to happen is it's quite pricey. When I was with the FBI, I saw this extensively, unfortunately. Um, companies aren't prepared for it. So they're going to have to bring on people. They're going to bring on a third party, instant responder. And they're exceedingly expensive. Um, and so that's going to cost you, you're then going to have to start identifying what happened. You're going to bring on most likely a third party attorney. And then there's going to be a mitigation associated with media elements. So you're going to bring on a PR firm. It gets really pricey really quick. The third element you're going to be dealing with when it comes to revenue is brand reputation. That's going to affect your brand. So if you look at an enterprise clients that dealt with breaches, so Home Depot was one of them, Sony, there's a whole treasure trove of them out there. Those are all organizations that have survived because their brand is so strong. Sure. But they didn't do this accidentally. The steps I just enumerated a little ago regarding operational overhead, they were utilizing. Small to mid-sized businesses aren't as lucky. And so if this hits a small, mid-sized organization, they're not going to have the same ability to bounce back. That's unfortunate, but that is the reality. So that's one of the things that we can guard against. And then the final thing is going to come down to regulatory and legal penalties. So uh, like I mentioned, British Airways, they recently this year paid approximately $228 million fine due to the fact the breach I described earlier in 2018. And now say that again, how much was that? $228 million. $228 million. I just want to make sure everybody heard that because <laughs> that is a big number for getting uh, basically hacked by someone you don't even know on uh, that, because you've outsourced that work to a third party. Exactly. And it's, it's massively unfortunate, right? Yeah. Um, British Airways in their defense did everything they could to protect their core infrastructure. And again, that wasn't touched. It was the third party. Sure. 
So, but yeah, so that's one of the things. And in the advent of CCPA, so California, uh, California Consumer Protection Act is coming into play. New York is going to be adopting something very similar. Texas, eventually there'll be a standard in the U.S. that governs the entire U.S. And with those regulatory elements come fines, like with GDPR. So that will be something that will be in play. And then we can help identify this, hap- this threat before it actually emerges. So there is no regulatory element or violation. And then also legal penalties. Those get quite extensive. Um, there's some massive attorneys, uh, big law firms in Atlanta that are very profitable because of some of these breaches. Uh, so we'll take the money away from them and make sure it stays in your pocket by ensuring the breach and or any type of activity that occurs that's outside of your desire is controls given back to you. And now the company can say, well, hold on. I did not authorize that. That is not a proper use of, of that piece of JavaScript. And that's what we're able to do. Wow, that's that's exciting work. Uh, Michael Anaya, DevCon Detect. So, Michael, uh, for those that would like more information, would like to be in touch, maybe get in line to be part of your beta test, tell them how to do that. Yeah, definitely. The easiest way to do it is you go to www.devcondetect.com. The other way you could do that is reach out to me directly. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, And uh, that's the easiest way, and then we can have that conversation. Cool. Michael, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So, folks, this is our inaugural edition of Alpharetta Tech Talk right here on uh, uh, Business Radio X. Uh, Just a note that if you uh, uh, want to subscribe to this show, you can find us on any of the major podcast uh, uh, applications. That's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, pretty much your favorite podcast app. We're on uh, YouTube as well. Um, And... If you want to see any of our shows uh, that are part of the North Fulton studio uh, here in North Fulton uh, uh, region of Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, uh, go to NorthFultonBusinessRadioX.com. Check us out there, and you can find our shows uh, there as well. So for our guest, uh, Chris Smith with Praxis Technology Escrow and Michael Anaya with DevCon Detect, I'm John Ray. Join me next time here on Alpharetta Tech Talk.